This episode is brought to you by Shopify. That's the sound of switching your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling. Harness the best converting checkout and same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Stop leaving sales on the table. Discover why millions trust Shopify to build, grow, and run their business. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech23. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Bear. The hit series returns with Jeremy Allen White in the Golden Globe-winning role of Carmi. He and the team will transform their family sandwich shop into a next-level spot, all while being forced to come together in new ways as they confront their past and reckon with who they want to be in the future. FX is the bear. All episodes now streaming only on Hulu. Hello and welcome to One for the Road with me, Sober Dave. Each week I'll be talking to some incredible guests and I hope by hearing each episode they will offer you a valuable source of inspiration and insight. From incredible life stories to a variety of important subjects, all to help you with your quest to change your relationship with alcohol. All of my guests are at different points in their journeys and each of them have powerful and uplifting stories and information to share. I hope you enjoy the show. Don't forget to subscribe and of course, leave a review. Welcome back to my podcast, One for the Road, after a short break. There have been a few changes and as part of this rebrand, there are going to be a couple of short ads right at the beginning. And it's really important that you listen all the way through as these will allow me to keep on producing the content of my podcast for the foreseeable future. My guest today is Janie Holiday, and she's coached women for over 20 years, helping them with mindset and life management. In today's episode, we discuss the timelines of how women have been programmed to drink well into their 40s and how we feel we are right on the edge of an NHS crisis. So don't forget to subscribe, hit the follow button and of course leave a review. And I really hope you enjoy the show. Good morning, Janie. It's a real pleasure to invite you onto my podcast. We've only recently found each other online off the back of my post of the tragic case of Nicola Bully, where police released a statement stating that she had a number of vulnerabilities and suffered with some significant issues with alcohol, which were brought on by her ongoing struggles with the menopause. Now, this post created a huge conversation by women of a certain generation And from your first comment alone, it received a huge conversation about your wonderful theory about why women of a certain age bracket are struggling today. You have a brilliant theory regarding the timeline of where this all started. And this is why I've wanted to get you on today, because I think this will help so many people by sharing this. So thank you so much again for joining me. Uh, it would be really, really good if you could start by giving a brief description of who you are and what you do. 
Lovely. Well, I'm really happy to be here. Um, and I know we're going to cover an awful lot of ground today, I'm sure. Um, I'm Janie Holliday, um, and I've been helping women for nearly 22 years. Uh, first of all, in the health and fitness industry. So I founded a very successful female outdoor fitness boot camps business called Fit for a Princess, which ran uh, for 16 years in southwest London. And around that, I was a health coach. Uh, in 2011, I retrained as an online coach and migrated my expertise online. I've been running online programs ever since. And then from 2013, I've been a mindset coach. Now, 95% of my clients are women in their 40s and 50s, and 95% of those are mums. And a lot of my work now around side the mindset coaching is also around life management, in particular time management, but also tech management. And the theory that you are uh, that you brought up here is really around. I think a lot of people are not quite joining up the dots with a few really key things uh, that this generation of women that are heading into perimenopause and menopause are the first generation of women who have drank more than ever before, who have done more than ever before and have been plugged in more than ever before and taken in more information than ever before through no fault of their own. Uh, and this combination of things, I think we really need to look at and have a really good conversation uh, about. I'm also nearly 46. Um, I have been that binge drinker uh, in the 90s. And that was what we talked about on the post, wasn't we? This journey that women have had. Um, I'm also a single mum, single mum of three. So I'm not sitting here as a coach kind of sharing all these tips. I'm actually talking as a woman that is living in this generation as well as working with this generation. Mm, I really hear you there. And and 95% of my clients are women in their 40s and 50s that are typical grey area drinkers. And, they, and, you know, when we have discussions, we wind it back. So having data is really, really important to that because we've all got our own story. And this is why I say every single person's relationship with alcohol is bespoke because you know we might drink the same amount but we've got different backgrounds we've got different family situations we've got different childhoods and it all ramps up to something that creates a picture in our lives but when we've got what we're going to go on to discuss actual proof of where this is formulated to where we are today it's really really fascinating to see how it's developed yeah, and I think uh, a lot of the messages that came off the back of that post that I, or the comment I put on your post, was you have just described my alcohol journey to a T. You've just described my struggles. And that's exactly what we need to do, Dave. It's going back and joining the dots. And I think one mm. of the biggest challenges of this generation of women is alcohol has been fed into us subliminally in terms of programming for such a long time. And a lot of women are wanting to make those conscious choices to change, but they don't understand that underneath that very small part of their brain, there has been two to three decades of this stuff being put in. And it's these beliefs that are formed, this programming that formalizes really your own habits and behaviors. And when you actually break it down, it is staggering, staggering. It is everywhere. And I'll give you a lifetime example. I went into my local supermarket on Sunday to get some pancake ingredients for Shrove Tuesday. And there was Prosecco next to the pancake ingredients. Now, that creates a subliminal suggestion that pancakes need Prosecco or pancakes will be better with Prosecco. Now, this stuff, like if you actually stop to think about how much of this stuff is going on now, but how much has gone on through the years, 
it is hardly any wonder that this generation of women are drinking more than ever before. And I'll say it again, through no fault of their own. Mm. See, I'm older than you. So growing up as a kid, I remember these adverts that used to come on and they would flash for one second, right? And then an hour later, you'd so say it was like Kellogg's cornflakes, it would be like the branding, right? And then an hour later, you'd fancy cornflakes. And this is exactly what you're saying about subliminal messaging. You know, whenever I go into a supermarket, because I'm finally tuned into it now, you know, it's like having chocolate by the till and you with your kids. Now, mummy, mummy, can I have? It's the same thing, right? And you walk into a supermarket at Christmas. There was this huge, like, archway of gin and tonic stuff. You know, as soon as you walk in the door, all the yep. offers of the wine, 25% off if you buy six and whatever. And it does its continuous subliminal messaging, which, as you say, isn't our fault. It's it's put into our brain, isn't it? No, absolutely. And I mean, it's all about money, right? It's because, you know, it's being marketed particularly to women in their 40s and 50s. We know that a lot of women who are dependent on alcohol are highly successful, you know, um, and it is deliberately marketed to us because they know that that is the, the group of women that will will spend. Uh, you know, I counted 27 points of sale outside of the alcohol uh, section in my waitress a few years ago. That is staggering. There are 57 different kinds of gin. It's just becoming out of control. And actually, even you go into the pate and cheese aisle and there's the wine that's put in there again to feed in subliminally that your pate and cheese will taste better with wine. So if you are consciously trying to make changes everywhere you go from filling up your car to picking up your groceries, it's everywhere. Plus, as I talked about technology with smartphones, we are seeing it not just in terms of advertising, but also in terms of how many images we see of other people that are sharing their Friday night drinks or sharing their whatever it is. And when we actually look at the difference in terms of how many images we take in now in comparison to 20 years ago, it is staggering, staggering. And it's putting not only pressure on women, but it's putting more of those unhelpful beliefs in. So that's when women often go against themselves because they wake up in the morning or all day, they're managing to, you know, I'm definitely not going to drink this evening or whatever it is. And then boom, bang, 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 bang. And before you know it, you've lost control because of everything that's underneath that conscious threshold. And you're not aware of it. So it's very difficult. And I think this generation of women put a lot of pressure on themselves. Um, and actually, when you start to, as you say, break down th th this journey of how those beliefs go in without you realising, it's it's really quite scary. Um, and I think we need to really, really encourage these uh, this group of women to not just only look at their choices in terms of life and technology and everything else, which is very difficult because it's very addictive, right? It's designed to be addictive, as is yeah. our goal. Um, but actually empower these these women to to not go against themselves, but to look at how you can actually, uh, you know, change your beliefs and change your programming in time to help you out. And it's so difficult because, you know, like I was 54 when I stopped drinking, right? So it'd be easy as a man um, to say, do you know what? That's what I do. That's that's who I am. You know, I've drank for 40 years since I was 14 years old. That's what I do when I watch football. This is what I do when I go to a party. This is my identity, right? So to change that whole identity is difficult. As for a man, 
it it's it for me it was like so easy not to do it just think i've been doing it too long now so when i stopped i had to it was like a snake shedding its skin you know but when it's been in ground into continuously it's even harder because it becomes part of your hard wiring i think you know um so it started we talked about earlier before we recorded this um about the 80s era do you want to cover a bit of that to start yeah so um i i think if we go back and we look at this generation of women like i said i was born in 1977 so i'm nearly 46 in the 80s i you know i was at primary school primarily um but this was really the first decade where i think women as a generation were uh you know it was, it was the sort of weight watchers calorie counting generation right suddenly everyone was dieting um there were low fat diets everywhere i mean i remember my mum doing the hip and thigh diet you know and doing the videos all the rest of it but it was we, we it was a decade where there was a, a it became a constant uh set of information around body image you know and ultimately the subliminal suggestion that you're not good enough I mean that's really the, the belief I see most in a lot of my clients is I am not good enough and when you start to trace back it often comes from that decade but also we have to remember and this is why this link with technology is huge we didn't have mobile phones in the 80s of course well most people didn't but it we started to see more images on uh tv you know it's the the yuppies you know in canary wharf it was the explosion uh yeah. you know the stock market you know you've only got to watch del boy with the oh yeah i was gonna glass. say that yeah, yeah the, the we don't do lunch thing yeah, in that exactly. clip yeah so it, so when you actually look at that, you know, you, you were watching that again, it's going in subliminally. It's not, it's really important for people to understand that you don't have to keep looking at something for it to go in. So when you start joining these dots, this is where I think a lot of it came from. Uh, you know, it was a bit more sort of the dinner party sort of era. And it was just where I think alcohol started to be a little bit more glamorized and a little bit more mainstream. It's where supermarkets started to stock alcohol that was very small back then, but it was, there was, you know, there was one, maybe one R, but it was still there. Um, and also it was that kind of era where, you know, money equals success. You know, if you've got money, you can go to a wine bar. It's it's, it's this first stage of glamorization. I think that's really important. And also for a lot of women, it's where they started to go against themselves in terms of this real big culture about being smaller, thinner. And I think they are actually very, very connected. So the 80s, I think, was a really pivotal decade in terms of this generation, bearing in mind as well, uh, if people are not aware, most of your subconscious core beliefs are created before you're eight. So it's before the critical mind uh, starts to kick in. So what you see between naught and eight, what you experience, again, totally subliminally, is where a lot of those core beliefs come into play. And a lot of the reason I think people do turn to alcohol is because they don't feel good about themselves. So it, it's really, really that, that that really, I think, is the first decade. And I think the question to ask yourself is, what was going on around you? What did you see? Did you watch Del Boy with your parents and, you know, have a chuckle? Mm. And, you know, one of my clients said, oh, I remember, you know, um my mum exactly watched this episode and then we set up a little wine bar in the corner of the lounge I mean do you remember this is what people you know it started yeah. to become the the bar in the corner of your lounge because of Del Boy so again it's it's this is where so much of it comes from it was so fascinating I love data anyway someone shared me their sleep data the other day after a month of not drinking and it was really really fascinating to see how different it looked you know so I'm sure already people are beginning to relate to this so much. You know, what you say about the, 
the the bar in the corner of your lounge, like um, in Del Boy. It was such an influential program, wasn't it? And and when he said lunch is for wimps, uh, and yeah, so so there was that. And then the nineties, that was a big era, wasn't it? I, I think the nineties is is the one of the the biggest things that we're going to discuss today for this generation of women. I think this is where we got that response from my from my comment because. Uh, you know, everyone was saying, you have just described my alcohol journey to a T. Mm. Now, um, in the 90s, it was where the Ladette culture took over. We got, you know, Sarah Cox was on The Word Friday night. They all had their pints of cider, their pints of lager. It was the women can keep up with the men. I started university in 1995. And I remember in Freshers Week, it was the girls versus boys. I drank nine pints of cider in a sitting because, you know, you wanted mm. to get the tick on the board. So if we look at that, you know, the Zoe Ball, Chris um, Evans, Billy Piper, and also what's really important to understand is not just what was going on in terms of that, but in terms of the shift in technology that brought more of that to, to our attention, again, to our subconscious. So if we look at, and it's also like, you know, Naomi Campbell, Kate Moss, you know, skinny, but always with a glass of champagne. You know, mm. again, you talked about liquid lunches with Del Boy. This was really where... The, this again, subliminally, the belief is I can be skinny and have champagne. Now, follow that on from the decade before where you're all worrying about what you look like. You can see again how it starts to build. And I think, you know, even do you remember this life? I mean, yeah. everybody yeah. watched this life. It was this glorification of Coke and drink as the perfect kind of accompaniment to hard work and connection with other people. Mm. So I think this was really important. But also what happened in this decade was you know, most people started to get their first mobile phone. And yes, we didn't have pictures and so on then, but it's where we started to check in with websites. So, you know, we went from watching, maybe what reading the Sunday papers once a week to going online and be able to read news and images. And I remember very clearly, I must have been at university where, you know, we'd go and log in to, to check online, you know what I mean, where you pay a pound for an hour, whatever it was. Um, you know, you see images of, you know, Jordan falling out of China whites and, and all the rest of it. So, this decade was was partly because the Ladette culture was everywhere you looked. And it was really, and I, I say this with trepidation, but it everybody was doing it. I mean, not everybody, but you know what I mean? A lot of people, it became cool. It became acceptable. It kind of became um, sort of a, a part of women's success to keep up with men with drinking and get absolutely wasted at the same time that we had this first stage of technology um, you know, what I call the first stage of technology explosion, where we just started to have way more of these images. And, and that's how it goes in. You're talking about smartphones here, like iPhones and stuff, aren't you? Because I think I remember getting my first phone and this is shows how old I am. Right. And it was one of those big brick ones that you used to walk around with, with a handle. It was a Panasonic something, right? And I upgraded to a Motorola TAC 2, which was the first flip phone that came out, right? And that I was paid, my- yeah, I paid 500 quid then. Um, but it still wasn't a smartphone. And then the smartphones come out and that really did change everything, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think a couple of key things that we need to look at is uh, I, I had the most Rona, like you said. I wish I could go back to those times. Yeah, you know, we had mm. to delete your text messages because if you had too many. Like, yeah, 10, like, I think. <laughs> 10 text messages and your um, memory's full up. 
think for women specifically, there's one key thing to bring in before uh, the iPhone was released, which uh, was uh, two key things, which was Sex in the City, which was, you know, the biggest watched show for mm. women for however long, which epitomised this glamour, this glamour alcohol, right? I remember being 23 and suddenly after watching this show, we would meet for cocktails on a Saturday lunchtime. I mean, nobody did it before then. So we watched the show. If I remember, it was on a Wednesday. You had to wait a week for the next episode. But suddenly all me, my girlfriends, it everything became about alcohol. Everything. It wasn't something you did on a Friday. It's what you did on a Saturday lunchtime. And if you if you actually go back and watch some of those early Sex in the City episodes, it is staggering staggering mm. Mm. with again those subliminal messages going and the other thing of course is we have Bridget Jones's diary which was one of the biggest films of that decade uh the book was out first obviously which again was tapping into I mean it, it was basically Chardonnay is your optimum self-medicator when you are mm. heartbroken and again if you go back and look at it it it's so powerful and it's this it's this continual you know the brain likes consistency so when it's going in, it's being drip fed all the while that you're consciously not aware of it. This is why it becomes so hard for, for women. And then in 2007, another two key things happened. There was the launch of the smartphone, the iPhone, like you said, albeit not the way we have it now. And that's that's grown obviously very cumulatively over the years. But a lot of people haven't picked this one out, which is in 2007 was the UK smoking ban. And suddenly, in 2007, you've got a generation of people that have already been fed and all this stuff around alcohol uh, and the way they look. And then suddenly, you can go to a pub with your baby. So mm. I, I was living in Wandsworth Common. And, uh, you know, I'm, I had my twins in 2008, so a bit before then. But I can remember, and I obviously ran a boot camps business, so I had, you know, thousands of female clients. But NCT groups would start meeting in pubs. And it was not uncommon, Dave, to have groups of women breastfeeding with a glass of Chardonnay. Now, I'm not what his judge, you know. I, I, I mean, I'm not there to This is not about judging. This is about understanding this generation of women. You don't just suddenly do that. You don't just suddenly go, oh, yeah, let's do it. It's all of these things put together. And so, you know, baby showers, first birthday parties, they all start happening in pubs. You know, the glass of wine becomes the accessory for so many women. Then, of course, you've got Facebook with the smartphone eventually on your phone, which means, you know, God, the mums that need wine. I mean, I remember saying the mums that need wine Facebook group had something like 300,000 followers. And then suddenly it's all mums are talking about is wine. You know what? I mean, one of the biggest accounts that I used to see was Hurrah for Gin. That that account and it is really important for women to understand the subliminal messaging because we all, you know, I've been there, shared it, ha ha, you know, but the subliminal messages that go into the subconscious part of your brain is gin is your solution to a busy day or a hard day. It is your it is your only solution. Now that I don't think that was their intention, right? It was to have a bit of fun. But it's the impact mm. of that intention. I don't think their intention was to fuel deep-seated beliefs in women that, you know, cause alcohol dependency and potentially addiction. But it's actually, it was, a, and this is, again, this sense of humour around this. Mm. This is part of the struggle. It's part of the normalisation of it. Because in 1980s, if you'd have turned up at a baby shower with three bottles of wine, people have looked at you and gone, what are you doing? Mm. <laughs> I mean, just, you just want not have happened. Um, and I, you know, I obviously got friends at school, uh, mum friends, and 
I was chatting to someone this week and I was telling her I was coming on here with you and she just said, I'm really surprised just how much my friends drink. I really am surprised. But it's glamorized, it's normalized, it's humorized. You know, where do we go? It's so I know. Um, but it, it's interesting because I was in, uh, I won't name the brand of the shop, but um, they've got even light bulbs now. You know, like that, you can have gin in the in the element of a light bar. It's literally everywhere, right? But I do think since lockdown, which is a huge, huge topic that we can talk about, more and more people are coming to me questioning their relationship with alcohol, exploring something different because they've come to a point where they can no longer carry on living a life like they do it's almost like we're on the edge of something so huge now you know that something's got to change it feels like i've got goosebumps talking about it now because i think we're on the edge of a real crisis to be honest yeah one of your followers uh commented on another comment i put on your post and she said i really do believe that we are sitting on a time bomb that the nhs are just you know with all of the issues that we're going to have with women in their 40s and 50s I can tell you this, that before COVID, many, many women were starting to question how they could carry on living at that level with just fitting so much in. And I think you're absolutely right. Obviously, COVID was a huge catalyst for a lot of people to drink more. But if we actually roll back a little bit before then... So, you know, people have been on that. Let's say people got, a, you know, their smartphone in, you know... T- 2010, which most of us did, right? That's where it became really mainstream. That's a decade of being plugged into your smartphone. Um, you know, 85% of people say they use their smartphone right up until they go to bed. Mm. We are cramming in way more than ever before. We're taking in more than ever before. And I saw this happen, you know, 2019. I think everybody thought 2020, new decade, new beginning. I've really got to sort my life out. I've really got to stop doing so much. Um, and I think what happened in COVID was a couple of key things. I mean, I said this to you, bef- you know, before we came on here. I don't think it's ever been harder to be a parent. I don't think it's ever been harder to be an employee. You know, if you're hybrid working, I don't think it's ever been harder to run your own business. I mean, I came off social media a couple of years ago because I was just like, what on earth am I doing with my life? You know. And I think I'm a parent of teens and it is staggering. And I think it's it's looking at all of these. And like you said at the beginning, everyone's um, reason for drinking or everyone's alcohol story will be slightly different. And everyone's journey through COVID is very different as well. But I think what was what happened in COVID is so many of the this generation of women, many of who, by the way, are in what we call the sandwich generation. So they're parents of children or teens, and they are also looking after elderly parents. I mean, this is such an important part. Most women that come to me for help are in that sandwich generation. And then suddenly, and I had a client say to me, I feel like I've gone back to the 1950s. A lot of men's work was prioritised because a lot of women fit their work around the kids, for example. So maybe they don't earn as much, but they're you know more hands on with the kids. A lot of women took the brunt of COVID. And what we know, speak to any burnout expert, is burnout just doesn't appear overnight. No. It happens over time. And I think, you know, going back to, and I, and I know it's very controversial to say we've got to be careful that we don't just put a label on women, I'm perimenopausal, I'm menopausal. We need to look at this journey leading up to this. Because if you were on burnout before COVID, as I think many people were, you then had to homeschool 
you know, pivot, change, deal with everything else. And, and also, Dave, even now, the world is a very unstable place in, in comparison to 10 years ago. And even when you look at the build up to COVID, like even with Brexit, right, that was the first big kind of what I call living in history moment of this generation where we had our smartphones. You couldn't escape it. Everyone was talking about it. So I think it is. I think COVID has been a catalyst for a few different reasons. Um, And I think a lot of people, you know, the the, the messages went in. That's the subliminal beliefs. We were all online in COVID. And what were we seeing that summer? The best summer ever. And pretty much every other picture on your Facebook feed or on your Instagram was people drinking in the sunshine. Well, yeah. And there was the thing that came out house party as well. Was it house party Uh, that people were joining? It was a new um, social media platform that, as you say, People on sun lounges having wine at two o'clock, right? Or one o'clock. Ah, why not? We're on holiday. Haven't got to work today, right? What happened after that is people started getting used to drinking it at that time. Yep. And then in came Zoom and then work meetings, working from home. And people started. Eve, I saw something the other day, Janie, that a technique was to blow into your cup of wine to make it look like you've got hot tea and it was actually a glass of wine. So they were like <sighs> into their cup. Do you know what I mean? And that's when people come to me and saying, I'm really struggling because my cravings are now kicking in at lunchtime when they used to be five, six, seven o'clock, you know? And so there's a whole new generation of people coming through that are really noticing their relationship with alcohol. And it's important to say about this podcast as well, it's specifically aimed to the conversation to do with women. I'm going to do a separate one with someone about what men have gone through as well, because I think that's important. But today we're talking about women. And my, as I said before, 95% of my clients are, are women in the age bracket that you describe as well. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, a, a lot of what I see in my practice is women who are you know, definitely doing too much. They taught themselves in lockdown that a glass of wine would help. Um, you know, I was chatting to someone yesterday about how a lot of mums used to have a glass of wine once the kids went to bed. Then it became bath time. Then it mm. became tea time. Then it became homework time. Then, like you say, in COVID, it was like, I cannot cope with this. I need a glass of wine. And so you're absolutely right. All of these new habits, all of these new behaviours were formed. But when we actually look at what people are dealing with day in, day out, I mean, a statistic I read recently was that we use three times the amount of brain capacity on Zoom as we do in person. So that is, you know, that's that's massive, okay? Um, This link of being on our phones so much, which we know makes people feel rubbish, right? I mean, I don't know anyone that goes, oh, yeah, my phone, my phone use absolutely makes me feel fantastic. So, again, a lot of comparison went on in COVID as well. Uh, a lot of people behind the scenes really struggling, feeling like they had to sort of keep up. Uh, I said to you, didn't I when, I, when we went into lockdown, I just was like, I'm not doing homeschooling. No way. I cannot, I cannot run my business, which is the priority, and have good mental health and run my home and do homeschooling. I just can't. I just couldn't do it. I didn't, you know, by myself as well. So, but I think what we've got to remember, this is really key, is that a lot of women of this generation feel bad when they are tired. They feel like stopping is lazy. Uh, they constantly worry about what other people think. They really push themselves. Uh, it's what I call uh, women that are really 
trying to be an A-grade student in all areas of their life. I mean, and that's fuel is fueled by a belief about success, which again, there's a whole other conversation. But the issue is, is that alcohol often keeps women doing more than they can actually tolerate without it. So when you take the alcohol away, Mm. they actually feel how hard their life is. I mean, I can speak from example of that myself. You know, when I, when I'm hardly drinking at all at the moment, as I said to you, um, twice this year, and I'm not a big drinker. If I have a drink, it might be one or two glasses of wine, but it's hardly, hardly anything at all anymore. I'm I'm nearly, I'm nearly AF. I'm definitely, I'm definitely, you know, heading that way, especially if you look at my background with drinking. Um, but it is when you don't drink, you do actually feel how imbalanced your life is because you've got nothing to prop you up and alcohol has propped up a lot of this generation for for a long time yet when you take it out or when you, when the women are wanting to make changes that they, they feel like they're well they go against themselves don't they because they feel like they should be able to do all of these things and i think that whole conversation about work life balance and boundaries and oh my goodness don't even get me on whatsapp groups i i have a oh rule my God. I, I have a rule dave i'm not on whatsapp groups no. I mean, we don't <laughs> need them why but but this is, you know, pe- women, you, you get pulled into it because you feel bad yeah. if you aren't in them. So it's so multifactorial, this. I really know. Is. WhatsApp groups are a big, big no-no for me. That they, they, It's like you go straight into a drama triangle when you're in a WhatsApp group. Do you know what I mean? Um, the other interesting thing that I think about as well, when you look at um, – Women, when we say, you know, the baby showers or when they meet or wine o'clock, you know, I used to be in a carpet game uh, and quite often the mums would um, pick the kids up and all go back to a house and open the Prosecco, right? Half three, four o'clock. And uh, now on the other side of it, I wondered how many of those mums went home, stopped drinking, had a cup of tea, bathed the kids, put them to bed, or how many continued to drink but then wouldn't be able to have that conversation with the wine o'clock brigade because of the shame, you know, like, would you go home and say, Oh, do you know what? I carried on and got absolutely blasted and don't even remember putting the kids to bed. You wouldn't have that conversation. So then there's women living with that as well of this big secret. I was just about to bring up the word secret because you talked about when you were talking about Zoom and, you know, living this secret life, you know, whether you're <laughs> blowing into a cup of wine to make it like a cup of tea, but it, it is very much this secret life. Uh, and I, I know this from a lot of the clients that I've worked with. Um, and you're absolutely right with all of this stuff. And I think that is part of the problem. I think with women, though, there's a couple of key things is if you are wanting to make changes and you are surrounded by people that are big drinkers, you you can't often make those changes because as human beings are pack animals, right? We, we sort of fall into this sort of pack. Um, but I think a lot of, and I, I, I you would probably back me up on this, I think there are a lot of women who are absolutely secretive about their drinking, even in their social friends, and often pretend with what their levels of alcohol are like, either by not drinking socially or just having one, and then, like you say, topping up in the evening. And I think... This comes down to a couple of things. Again, worrying what other people think. This total taboo and shame and judgment about anyone that's dependent on alcohol. I mean, I think this is why this Nicola Bully case has just stirred up so much because, yeah. you know, especially the way it was handled. 
And I think this whole thing around, you know, this is what stops people getting support or help or making changes. And I've got a really fantastic example. You'll love this. Uh, uh, one of my clients who's a fairly big drinker and she, she, called, she called her friend like the queen bee of drinking. She'd be the one that would bring everyone together and always have, you know, let's have this, let's have that, you know, two bottles the of wine enabler. at lunchtime. The enabler. She called it the queen bee. And then one day she put her hand up and she said, I'm not drinking anymore. I'm an alcoholic. And this whole group of women had followed her kind of pattern Mm. and her Mm. habits. Mm. And I think it takes a lot of strength for one person in a group to actually make the changes. But what I've noticed um, is women get stuck between what I call the fear of failure and the fear of success. If I break this down for you, the fear of failure is often the fear of shame. So that can often turn uh, sort of turn into a block because you want to make changes, but you're, you're you you kind of maybe know that you're not going to be able to do it. So you have this fear of failure. You think people are going to shame you. And then this fear of success is if I am going to go down an AF route or whatever your goals or wishes are, there's a real fear of the success around that because of the fear of judgment that comes into play. So if we look at fear of failure and fear of success as fear of shame and fear of judgment, you can see why women sit between these two parallels Mm. and are stuck between a rock and a hard place. So I always say to people, you know, inspire by example, you know, start to change what you do and then other people around you may well do the same. But Dave, this goes back to this timeline that we talked about. This is a generation of women where alcohol has been in their hand, on their table, by their side, in their groups of women for 20, 30 mm. years. It's it's really, really big. But this is why I always compare it to um, coming out of a long-term relationship. You've been with alcohol all your life from, from an earlier, you know, a lot of women that come to me start drinking at 12, 13 years old, you know. And then there was the whole Alco Pop era, the pretty coloured drinks, and then now the pink gin. And you see on the gin shelves that yellow, green, pink, you know, all that era. And then all of a sudden, it's like, how can I manage my life without this relationship? But then there's the whole thing of identity. It's like in my group of friends now who we've shaped this group, a bit like in the old days, like we would have the football lads or it would be, oh, we're, we're all playing snooker or the World Cup. We would have this like group. H- how do I fit into this group of people now? As you say, set by example, but that's really difficult sometimes, especially if you're feeling the shame of what, you know, for me, it was who have I become? I, I, The important thing here, I think, is that I didn't see it coming. It just arrived. Oh, my God, I have got a huge problem here. And it was almost like I was in a a coma for for 10 years. And then I woke up from the coma and it's like, I am literally a raging alcoholic. And I'm in a lot of trouble here. And I think this is what has happened with a lot of women, with the hurrah for gin era, you know, all, all this where it's got to a place that all of us and lockdown is like all of a sudden I have this huge problem, but I have even more problems if I take it out of my life because I don't know how to deal with it. And I think that's an important conversation as well. Yeah, well, 100%, 100%. I mean, I think this identity is, is a really important thing. 
I think also it's about, you know, how you can, well, and this is why your stuff's really important, forming your new tribe, right? But it's, I mean, it's hard when you're in it. Um, but I think what I, what I noticed with a lot of people, and I've experienced this myself, I'll give you an example. Last uh, summer, I did drink about 50 days and I, I think, didn't quite make 50 days. That was my intention. I was about 35, but it did pretty well. And um, I remember telling people I'm not going to drink for 50 days. Um, every, most people were like, ha, yeah, right. I'll give you two weeks. And somebody else was like, really well done. That is really commendable. And it just goes to show you that noise that's around you the whole time. Um, and I think it is very much about looking and actually forming the belief that you can change your identity. So let me give you an example. I used to be a sugar addict. I was known as Jamie the Chocoholic. I remember when I was 25, my boyfriend used to choose the restaurant based on the pudding. Mm. And I had a belief that I could not have a great life without uh, without sugar. That was, I mean, how could you possibly go to a restaurant and not have a pudding? I mean, that would, that would ruin your life. That's just a belief, right? That's just the belief. And in the end, I didn't, I didn't have sugar for 10 years. And then now I can have it now and again, and it doesn't bother me and I can take it or leave it. Um, but I think it's about remembering that you can change your identity and you actually have to look for evidence that you can change your identity. I mean, our identity changes throughout our whole lives, mm. but it's often not your relationship with your identity. It's the identity that others have of you. Yeah. And yeah. your role, your role in their identity, which is why, and I think this generation of women find it so hard because if most of the people in their lives drink quite a lot, mm. whether it be socially or secretly, whatever, they will be threatened by any change. And that then puts another pressure on yourself. Mm. And I think a lot of people right now, you know, especially in their 40s and 50s, are tired, like we've talked about. Life's a bit crazy. And it can be very insular when you go on this journey. Mm. And it takes a lot of strength, I think, to be able to, you know, really tap into what it is that you want. And I think this whole conversation we've had today is looking at, again, it's no one's fault. But if it's becoming a problem in your life, no one is going to fix it. And it's also about, I think, most people that I work with worry what other people think. But actually, when you really, really challenge people on this, it's not actually what other people think. It's what you think people think. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's a bit like the dance floor thing that you, you get up and dance and you think everyone's looking at you, but yeah. they're all worried about themselves. Do you know what I mean? And it's really interesting what you say there from a man's perspective, because for me, the shaming, the sober shaming around me, because I built up this image of me that I was this party animal. I was the one that would walk in the pub and I go, yay, Glugs is here. Yeah, we're on the piss, you know, the whole thing. So when I came out and said, I'm not drinking anymore, I had all that sober shaming, all the negative chat, but I, I, I had to stay in my lane and I also knew that I had been a people pleaser my entire life. I'd shape shifted around so many different groups, so many people that they believed I was this person. So when I said, I don't want to be that anymore, that's why it becomes such a problem. But I had to stick to my guns and think, who do I want to be? And I know what I don't want to be anymore is that. And that's what the big, thing for me was to realize i don't want to do that anymore and if that whatever casualties there are there will be because otherwise i'm in the ground within a year you know what i mean and and 
It's interesting what you say about the justifying with alcohol, that you have to justify you giving it up. And if you were giving up smoking or if you were trying to lose some weight or whatever, they're all like, brilliant, that's fine. Oh, you look great. Uh, I'm not drinking. Oh, you're boring. What's the matter with you? You've gone mental. You know, that whole thing, it's, it's awful. Yeah, and I think this is where I, I um, help a lot of people in my practice with what's what I call the practice to prepare technique. So if you are going to make changes, it's like actually stopping and anticipating what other people might say to you and actually practicing what you are going to say back. Mm. I mean, it's a huge part of this. Um, I mean, people used to joke at me. I used to be a massive party animal, big drinker, uh, binge drinker in my 20s. Uh, and people used to laugh and oh, book a hangover in if we're, we've got, we're going out with Janie, you know. Um, and I work not only with a lot of women who are perimenopausal and menopausal, but I work with a lot with cancer patients, uh, women who've got breast cancer, typically. And I say this with a little trepidation, Dave, but I think this is really important. Going back to that comment one of your followers put on is... I ran a health and fitness business for 16 years. I eat impeccably. I've got a great mindset. I mean, my life's a bit crazy and I haven't had a full night's sleep because my youngest is, is autistic and doesn't sleep very well. But if I got diagnosed with cancer tomorrow, I wouldn't be surprised. I actually wouldn't be surprised. Mm. Yeah, a lot of my clients who think they are fit and healthy, mm. and this goes back to the secrecy thing, because if you are a heavy drinker, or you are a secret drinker, you can still look good. You can still have a good body. I put good in inverted commas there because obviously it's uh, it's perspective. But, you know, I, I think a lot of women I've worked with, some have gone, yeah, do you know what? I'm absolutely not surprised. I worked with a fantastic psychologist. She had cancer 10 years ago and she was a former air stewardess, you know, her, her diet used to be vodka and chocolate. You know, she wasn't surprised. But a lot of women, I think, and this comes down to a lot of what we're talking about, is it's understanding that you've got these beliefs habits and behaviors but ultimately like you just said if you don't want to be six foot under you have got to start pushing back on yourself a little bit and going what happens if I carry on going down path a and what happens if I go on path b I run a mindset program called best on one of the one of the sort of trainings is it's what I call the t-junction analogy so turning left is you know the 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 easy one the easy option feels easy at the beginning Turning right is a difficult one. But if you keep going down that path, if you turn left and you take the easy option now, where does that lead you? It's often going to take you to a harder place. Whereas if you do the the work, it will take you through. One of my life goals is I want to be alive for my daughter's 50th birthday, which will be when I'm 90. So this is where I, yeah, I accept the the programming. I accept my own habits. I have that self-compassion for for, for me and, you know, everything. And I have absolutely been dependent on it. You know, I went through a horrific divorce and my twins were young. And I was that woman that turned to a glass of wine. And I think a lot of people in this generation as well are single parents too, who can't get out. So your glass of wine becomes a thing that you can do. It's not about what you've done. It's not about where you are. It doesn't matter. What matters is you ask yourself what you want for your life because we only have one. Yeah. And it does take strength and it does take courage, but I think you can do it in a really positive way. But I think I always say this, the relationship you have with yourself is more important than the relationship you'll have with anybody else in your whole life. Tap into that person. And this kind of leads to the technology thing. We're so plugged in. We're so looking at other people and what they're doing that we don't stop and create that headspace for ourselves and think about what's important to me. Yeah. One thing I've learned recently, because, um, you know, I'm four years and a bit sober now, and I, I have changed in those four years, you know. Um, and what I've learned is comparison is so dangerous. 
you know, when you compare your situation or your drinking or your relationships or your parenting with others, it's really, really unhelpful. And this is why I say to people, you've got to stay in your lane, especially a lot of big drinkers are people pleasers, they're overthinkers, they're highly sensitive. You know, there are certain traits, you know, there's a big link between ADHD and drinking, you know. So there's all these things that come in with lifestyle and insecurities, friendship groups, they... You put them all in the mix and it's the perfect storm. Do you know what I mean? And and the frightening thing is for a lot of people is I don't know how to be different. And what you say about the cancer community as well is I went to a charity event a couple of years ago and met a lot of people that have had breast cancer, right? And at this event was a free bar. Now, I know for a fact that the statistics of reoccurrence with breast cancer, if you drink, increased by 28%. So to see a free bar there, and there was wine flying all over the place. I I was mouth open. Do you know what I mean? So what I say to people myself is a bit like what you say about that T-junction is we all have choices and we have to make those choices on our own. and. When you turn right, as you say, that might look so difficult, you might feel you can't do it, but you have to go through it to get through it. Do you know what I mean? And see what's the other side. And we all go, you know, this whole go left thing is, oh, well, like staying in a toxic relationship, a narcissistic relationship. Sometimes the, the, oh, it's easier and he's like this or she's like that. And yeah, it's great. There's actually... Where are you going to be in five years' time? It'd be worse or you'd be exactly the same. So you have to change things. And, you know, with this group of women, 40s, 50s, health starts to impact, right, if it's years and years of drinking. So where I always say to people, where do you want to be in five years' time? Well, that has big impact because I, I'm 59 this year, right? So 60 next year, I cannot believe it. But I was 54 when I stopped drinking. I pretty much think I wouldn't be here now if I'd have carried on the way I was drinking, you know. And that I've got a son, you know, like it has big impact on people around me as well, you know. Definitely. I mean, I'd like to come on to a couple of points that you just made, actually. I mean, um, this whole link between ADHD, I think, is a really important one. As I said, my daughter's autistic sensory processing disorder. Uh, she also has undiagnosed but highly probably ADHD and I've been doing a lot of research around this and I think there's a couple of key things for this generation of women as as well Um, is you know like you say there's a massive link between ADHD and drinking Um, and I think that's a couple of reasons we know now that those with ASD autism spectrum disorder and ADHD are dopamine deficient and this is where alcohol and technology are a very, very dangerous combination for anyone who is neurodiverse because it takes you in there because your brain functions. Again, no judgment. And also what I'm noticing is how many women that I work with who drink because they can't handle the amount of thoughts that they've got going on. Mm. They're now having children that are showing up with ASD and ADHD and then they suddenly go, oh my God, is this why I'm like this? So I'm also massively sensation seeking. My daughter is too. And I absolutely believe 
that one of the reasons that I loved binge drinking and everything is because I I, I am sensation seeking by by yeah. by my brain neurologically. So I think it's 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 very tricky. I mean, the health thing. I think what's really important for people to understand um, is humans are most motivated by immediacy. So that's why the man who has a heart attack suddenly will you know make some changes. My colleague, my co-coach, she only stopped drinking and eating sugar when she had cancer. So immediacy is the most powerful tool. But most humans are in denial, and there's three forms of denial that this is not happening. This is happening, but it's not as serious as I think it is or people are saying it is, which mm. I think is where most women in the 40s and 50s bracket happens. Or this is happening, but it's not my fault. Mm. And I think if we look at this group of women, the 40s and 50s, I think a lot of them know they're drinking too much. They want to make changes, but they're surrounded by these roadblocks. And I think opening these conversations, you know, my big thing about this, Dave, is that they mustn't blame themselves. You know, it, it's it's where you are. But as you say, what do you want for the rest of your life? And I mean, my co-coach I mentioned, I mean, she gets some of her clients to write letters to their children saying alcohol was more important to you. And this is the letter that you actually imagine giving to your child once you died 20 years before you you want to. And I mean, that's that's quite brutal, right? But sometimes we need, a, not, sometimes we need a gentle nudge, right? We need a soft nudge to make some changes other times sometimes brutal can be better Mm. and the question is and I have this saying that my clients get sick of me saying all the time is whatever you don't change you are choosing it's powerful you know and when you say you're brutal I'm brutal as well because I always bring in the kids as well in my coaching now I say how old are they do you think they they're aware of your drinking how do you think they feel about that you know how do you feel about that Yeah. And as you say, these conversations are so important because listening to it, I'm sure there's going to be thousands of people hearing this going, oh, my God, that's how I feel. You know, and they they don't know who to talk to about it. And the the holding that in, you talk about it wouldn't surprise you if you got cancer tomorrow. You know, you look at Gabor Mate's theory around anxiety, stress and illness. And it all taps in. It's what you hold in your body. Do you know what I mean? Plus, the the awful toxic fluid that we're putting in, the bad food choices, the health things like raised blood pressure, cholesterol, weight gain, you know, all of that on top of the anxiety and stress. Yeah. It's awful. But I think this is really important to recognise how differently we are living from 20 years ago this is mm. this is why we're having this conversation right because all what you're saying is absolutely true but if i do this exercise with my clients called throwback it's where you take yourself now exactly as the age you are exactly with the circumstances so i'm nearly 46 three kids and you take yourself back 20 25 years and you actually think about what you did in the morning when you woke up because we didn't have our smartphones what we did at lunchtime because we didn't have our mobile phones what do we do in the evening what sort of information were we taking in? What did we see in terms of, you know, I didn't know what my friend's at school's house was like or where she went on holiday. You know, you didn't see this stuff, right? Mm. So if we look at it from the and technology, and I'm not being funny, Dave, but we're not joining up the dots with having this on our bodies 24-7. When we look at this in terms of 20 years, 10 years even, it is not a wonder that we are sitting in this health crisis, mental health crisis. I mean, you've only got a lot. I run a program called Tech Boss. So I help people a lot with tech management, specifically with teenagers. I mean, 
being a parent with smartphones is just unbelievable. I mean, I wasn't dealing with parents 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, dealing with self-harming, suicide. I mean, it's, you know, it's just exploding all around us and no one is kind of going, hang on, what are we doing here? And I think it is so intrinsically linked. And I think... I don't know about you, but I do I do question sometimes what we're doing as, as, as a race of human beings in this generation, because we're not. The key thing is all of this stuff, the booze, the technology, the doing too much. It's what I call the the normalization of the accumulation of things that build up over time that we are just not aware of. It slips in these mm. habits, these behaviors from all those three angles. And I think we've got to be really got to be really careful that we don't put a label on something that actually means we're looking for solutions in entirely the wrong place. Yeah, 100%. And looking for constant dopamine hits. Yep. That instant gratification. You know, I saw a documentary and it described the swiping we do on the phone as a one-armed bandit in the old days. You're constantly pulling that handle down for the reward, right? Swiping up on Instagram or Facebook or TikTok and you're thinking, oh, yeah, I wonder what I'm going to see. wonder what I'm going to see. And then after an hour, you don't see anything, actually. And you feel really low, depressed, right? And it, oh, it's so bad. But do you know what I've realised what I say, like I, how I'm changing, because we do constantly change, is I'm really seeking out more and more simplicity in my life now. Yeah. More and more peace and quiet, more and more me walking with my lovely little chihuahua rose out in the country, uh, sitting in silence. You know, I, I, I will sit. I won't have the radio on, the telly on. I won't have my phone near me just to try and get some more bandwidth in my head because my bandwidth is literally taken up. You know, the amount of DMs I get on my social media the emails I get, it's constant ping, ping, ping. It's like being in a crowd and someone pushing you on the back. And before yeah. you know it, you're going to turn around and push them back, right? And that's the burnout you're talking about. Constantly, every single day, you wake up in the night. Like you say you don't sleep. Do you ever reach for your phone or, or do you try and avoid it? I, I avoid it now because I realize when I reach for it, my brain is a light straight away. No wonder yeah, I, I had to sleep. I uh, I don't have my phone in my room. I've got like a little torch that I have in case because that's what yeah. we use. Our, we use our phones for everything now, don't we? Yeah. This bad this bandwidth you talk about. I mean, there are two two words that I always hear with my clients, which is overwhelm and headspace. Right. Mm, mm. I've got a client who's got four children in three different schools, and she's got seventeen apps on her phone to manage her children's yeah. things you know it, it is absolutely nuts it's funny one of my words for this year is simplify so I think we are definitely seeing a transition towards uh that kind of that kind of stuff um but again as you say it's this, the, the, the 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 whatsapp groups the apps for everything it's 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 taking up headspace mm. it, it really is and there is actually a medical condition for digital dementia so are you know I've got a bit of brain fog, you know, maybe yeah. that is perimenopausal, but I also haven't had full night's sleep for seven years, not by choice. Um, and my daughter doesn't stay up when she gets up, but you know what, I have interrupted sleep. Um, but it really is looking at, you know, it, it, is this digital dementia, uh, a dementia part of it? I mean, ha- nobody can remember phone numbers anymore. I mean, I can remember my landline oh, from 1985 and I can remember my car registration plate. I can't remember mine parked outside my house. So our whole, the whole way our brains are um, working is completely different. And also when you compare, I mean, I read a statistic that in comparison to 
I think between 1986 and 2011, the average person consumed 174 newspapers extra a day compared to 19. That was that was just I mean, that was 2011. Mm. So, and also, I don't know about you, Dave, but you know, social media and reels and videos and noise—it's just noise, 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 noise. Yeah. noise. And then we, we wonder why we crash at the end of it. Yeah. So it's 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 very complex. And I, you know, I know you know we want to help women with their alcohol intake and everything else, but I think this. It's not as easy and simple as going, oh, yes, I need to drink less alcohol or no alcohol. Yeah, or it's- I've got to stop drinking and there's the solution because that's the beginning. And I quite, I, I don't want to put people off by saying, no. well, stage one is stopping drinking because they think, well, what's stage two? What's stage three? But stage one starts the process of sorting everything else out. And that's why after four years now, I've really... I've narrowed my friendship groups. You say about WhatsApp groups, don't even get me started on that. Um, you know, and I notifications, I turn every single notification off. I move the essential apps over so they're not on my home screen. My home screen yeah. is very minimal. You know, I'm doing all these things to just just try and create more bandwidth so I can just breathe in life, you know, breathe fresh air and think, I'm okay today. Uh, yeah. I, I don't feel too anxious today. Let's embrace that. Let's encourage that rather than just go straight on your phone and something might come up that stresses you out within 10 seconds. I think a couple of key things. It's this: We're living in such a stimulated world. So that's why I think a lot of people find it hard to knock that glass or two or three or whatever in the evening because – how else do you wind down when you are so stimulated from the minute you wake up to the minute you go to bed? As I talked about, you know, the whole way your brain works when you're on Zoom is such a big part of it. And also, I think it's this constant, as you mentioned a few moments ago, comparison. You know, we spend our lives looking at other people. We incorrectly compare because we compare our back of house with somebody else's front of house. And as human mm. beings, we fill in all of the gaps based on our own maps of the world. So we are, so we are putting ourselves, this is really important. We are putting ourselves, unless you're doing what you and I are doing, in fight or flight from the minute you wake up to the minute you go to bed. I've coached 20-year-olds who have got real mental health issues, anxiety, and I asked them, how do you start the day? What do you do when you wake up? And they're like, phone goes on. What do you look at? TikTok, YouTube, you know, Instagram. You know, you this, you, so when you spend, we have something in our brains called the RS filter. It's called the reticular activating system. And what its job is to do is to filter all the you know, zillions of pieces of information that we can take in all day. And you set that filter. So when you're setting that filter to, to, to looking at other people, comparing yourself, you start, you then start to live your day like that, which is why I'm such a huge fan of journaling. I don't put my phone on in the morning. I don't go on social media anymore. I want to be present with my children. I mean, you know, the time just whizzes by. And I think that's another really key part is the more tech we have. Do you not think the more the time just whizzes by? It, you know, it's incredible. And I think all of these little things, again, the joining up the dots, the mental health, anxiety, gut health. For, I mean, if you drink, if you've drank for 20 years, your gut health is going to yeah. be absolutely ruined. Mm. That's going to create anxiety for a lot of people. That's going to create imbalances with your endocrine system. So it's so linked. It, it really is. And um, somehow we're going to end this really positively, I hope. <laughs> yeah, well, do you know what? I just think this has been a fantastic um, podcast. And we did say... Um, this is probably one of many. Um, I'm changing my podcast now. It, I had eight seasons of life stories, uh, which I'm still going to use because people can relate and, you know, get so much from them. But I think 
information like this that we've talked about today, education, knowledge is really important as well. And when you sent me that fantastic list of things uh, that you wanted to talk about, I did say to you, we ain't going to get that in in an hour. So it would be really, really fabulous if you were to come on again and we could cover some more subjects. Listening to this, uh, if you want to put in the comments what you would like us to talk about, that would be great. But I, I, I want to thank you so much, Janie, for coming on today because I think so many people are, are feel they're going to get so much help from this podcast today. Uh, valuable information, valuable knowledge, and I'm sure we'll be back. I'm going to put all your links and show notes on where they can find you if they want coaching with you or even DM, have conversation. I'm sure they will. Is there anything you want to say before we go? I just would love to end on a high. Thank you, obviously, for having me. And I really hope this has inspired people. I said to you before, didn't I? The definition of inspire is to breathe life into. And I do hope that we've done uh, some of that today, as well as bringing up some of the, the more serious side of things. But my key message I want to end with is never too late to change the end of your story. And if you do nothing else from listening to this, to just having a bit of hope, just starting to think about what your future might look like, making some simple changes. I think a lot of people think change has to be big and hard and serious. And yes, sometimes you do have to do the graft, but lots of brilliant things can uh, happen by just small changes. So just yeah. start to observe, just observe where you are. And um, yeah, we'd love to come back to more, for more, sorry, anytime. Fantastic. And my two two favorite words are curious and explore you know if this podcast makes you feel curious about your own relationship with alcohol and all the other things we talked about you know life changes it doesn't have to be a huge life change it can be small changes can make a difference you know even what you say about gut health we can go on and talk about that next time but to explore the opportunities that could come along with you not drinking or cutting down drinking or what, you know, that's a whole subject I don't want to get in now because we're coming to the end, but my whole um, thing about moderation. But, um, yeah, I think it's been brilliant. Please join me again. Thank you so much for coming on today and let's speak soon. See you soon. Thank you. Bye. I really hope you enjoyed the show today. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For further support, you can buy my book, One for the Road, on Amazon, and you can also follow me on Instagram, at Sober Dave. Please remember to join me for next week's episode. Until then, thanks for listening, and have a great week.